0: are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. You may be seated. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing and honoring in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And it's in Jesus' name alone that we pray. Amen. As a family, we often read books aloud together. Our children love this. This is usually a, uh, a, something that we do right before bedtime and several times throughout the day as well. And one of the most recent books that we read was called Carry On, Mr. Bowditch. Uh, most, um, uh, most of our books that we read, obviously, are children's books, and I highly recommend it. It's good for adults as well. It's a really good read. Uh, but Carry On, Mr. Bowditch is about a man's named Nathaniel Bowditch. Who, uh, and his adventures in the early 1800s here in the United States. And without giving too much of the book away, towards the end of the book, what happens is that Mr. Bowditch transfers into Captain Bowditch as he leads a crew of men sailing from Salem, Massachusetts, to the islands of Sumatra and back in search of Pepper as their cargo. Um, we were using uh, pepper the other day on our eggs, and we were like, can you imagine having to sail all the way across the ocean just to get pepper? It's pretty incredible. So as they are getting closer and closer to port on this voyage, a terrible fog rolls in that just is seemingly relentless, like you can't see the hand in front of your face. There is danger on every side from rocks, from shelves that are underneath the water, and it is a very tense situation. But then Captain Bowditch does something that was seemingly unheard of in his time. He did something that was called book sailing. Book sailing. So instead of taking measurements from the moon and the stars in order to navigate and determine where they were going, which was obviously impossible because of the fog, he used a book that he himself had written. He had spent months, uh, maybe even a year or so. Uh, meticulously doing these calculations, putting them into this book of navigation. And he used this book to sail the ship harmlessly through the fog, arriving in the port completely unscathed. It was incredible. So in our culture as well, I feel like we find ourselves in a fog. Consistently we find ourselves in a fog in our culture. And as we approach chapter 2 of Titus, I think that scripture makes it very clear that our culture has created this dense fog that makes community and generational living confusing. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to engage together in some book sailing. We're going to go through this fog that our culture has created for us using the book of God's word. Uh, We're going to enter into some sensitive topics this morning but we're going to use God's word to navigate through that um, because God's word is true and it is timely and relevant for today. So let's navigate together this morning using God's word as we do this book sailing through Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. So first of all, a little recap. As we've been going through Titus, uh, the first chapter, we say that the theme of of Titus is found uh, in verses that we will talk about next time which is Titus 2, verses 11 through 13, that for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So in other words, what we've been saying, the theme of Titus is, is that God's grace poured out on us compels us to godly living. It compels us to godliness. And what we believe to be true is shown in how we live our lives. What we believe about the gospel shows itself through our living. So Paul begins chapter 2 by presenting Titus with uh, another command. Last week we looked at his first command and that was to raise up elders, uh, to, to put the church into order. And Paul's command this week is to teach what accords with sound doctrine. And Paul gives advice to Timothy, or excuse me, to Titus, to teach particular groups of people in a particular way, to act appropriately according to the truth of the gospel. And he addresses here older men, older women, younger women, younger men, and then bond servants or slaves or or servants, or as most people translate today, employees, um, how we react in those situations. And when Paul addresses these groups, he crisply hits hard on various stereotypes. And we're going to talk about those this morning. And as he addresses each group of people, he requires customized characteristics of them. Very customized uh, to these different groups because he is aware that each group typically faces different temptations. Older men face different temptations than older women. Older women face different temptations than younger men. Um, And so he customizes them to each group of people. They are certainly not politically correct. So we're not gonna be politically correct this morning. But Paul, like a certain candidate for the presidency, Uh, would never be accused of being politically correct. I think that may be the only time that Paul can be uh, compared to Donald Trump. (laughs) Uh, That's probably where all the comparisons end, and so we'll stop there, uh, making that comparison. But Paul is certainly not politically correct. So let's be chivalrous, and even though Paul starts with the older men, let's start with ladies first this morning. Uh, Paul starts with older men, then he talks about older women and younger women, and then he gets to younger men. So we'll start in the middle where Paul um, uh, addresses the ladies. So based on what he calls older women to embody, uh, Paul draws out common temptations faced by older women. And as we go through each group, we'll first look at the common temptations and then the instruction that Paul gives Titus uh, to address in these people. And uh, believe me, there is no easy way for me to say these things as a 34-year-old male uh, speaking to older women. But the Bible is true, and, uh, and God uh, gives it to us uh, for us to, uh, to teach truth. So uh, Paul sees older women falling into the temptations of these, of, of complaining, of criticizing, of participating in gossip, of being judgmental of engaging in addictive behavior, even laziness. Um, if you think of a TV show that came on in the 80s, The Golden Girls, if you remember seeing that, um, you kind of get that, that, that sense in your mind of these four ladies who are, are living together in the same house and getting into all sorts of trouble uh, with one another. So these are the stereotypes that, that Paul is presenting in the lives of older women And Paul gives instruction to Titus, saying, To teach older women instead to be reverent, not slanderers, and not slaves to much wine. This word slanderers here is very strong. We're going to pull out a couple of Greek words this morning. Um, This root word is the same root word used in the New Testament for Satan, for the devil. It's the word diabolos. And the devil is the capital S. Slanderer. Uh, as Jesus says in John 8 verse 14, or 8 verse 44, excuse me, as he is talking to the Pharisees, he says, "You are of your father, the devil, the slanderer, and your will is to do what your father desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a father, he is a liar, and the father. Of lies. So Paul is teaching Titus very strongly here to train older women not to simply sit around, to be drinking wine, slandering, telling lies, and gossiping. He says instead, older women need to be engaged with younger women, teaching them what is good. I feel like as we go through these, as we look at these stereotypes, uh, these temptations, we need to understand that no, this isn't all the time. Um, But stereotypes, to a certain degree, uh, are true. That's why we have these stereotypes. So we need to understand uh, that this isn't always the case, uh, but we need to avoid these things. So older women need to be teaching younger women what is good. Because the temptations that younger women face are these, and they face a myriad of temptations both then and today, because it's not easy being a young woman. Certainly not today, not then either, with all the different responsibilities that fall on young women's shoulders. As wives and as mothers, as Paul draws out here, young women shoulder a great deal of responsibility and not a lot of recognition for it. Uh, The temptation arises then to lack contentment, to long for more, uh, especially today, to want it all, to, to compare yourself to others to think that the grass is greener even on the other side. But in the midst of these struggles and these temptations, uh, the temptation is to lose sight of what is truly important. So Paul tells Titus this, that older women are to teach younger women what is good. And what is good is to love husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands. So we need to talk about what does it mean in this passage that Paul says that younger women need to be working at home. I feel like we need to address that because I know that as we read it, question marks are going off, alarm bells. What is is Paul talking about here? And what he's talking about is that home is a priority, and he stresses that. And because of the sensitive nature of this in the 21st century, what I'm going to do is I'm going to quote Brian Chappell. He's the former president of Covenant Theological Seminary. Um, He has written a commentary on the book of Titus, and this is what he says in his commentary. He says, It is unlikely that Paul had in mind concern about career women or mothers in the secular workplace. The emphasis is not on the location of wife's work, but being productive in the normal occupations of a wife each day. The apostle, without question, ranks our wife's obligations to care for her husband and children over and above her personal benefit and fulfillment. Any woman who makes career status or financial advantage a higher priority in her life than the welfare of her marriage or children, transgresses scripture as well as signals of the heart sensitive to God's spirit. So, the question is, is it sinful, we want to know this, is it sinful for a woman to have a job outside of the home? I would say based on what Paul is saying here, no, that is not sinful. Is it wrong for a woman to place career over husband and kids? Yes. Is it wrong for a man to place career over wife and kids? Yes, of course. God gives us these relationships, and we need to keep uh, the right perspective. What he's telling young women here is to find your value in Christ through the gospel and display that through loving your husbands and your children and through all your actions. And this goes for young women who are not married as well. Obviously, Paul is speaking here of husbands and children, But the point is this, is that all young women, through their actions, Paul says, do not revile the word of God in the way that you live your life. Live with integrity, with dignity, uh, according to the gospel, living in line with it. So, let's transition to the men for a moment. Men, it's your turn. So, What stereotypes, in a sense, does Paul present here in terms of older men in the way that he instructs Titus? Well, Paul understands the typical stereotypes of older men of being grumpy, of cynical, of tired because of the years spent serving, of being argumentative, of being negative. He assumes older men will be using, as one of the commentators wrote, of phrases like, back in the good old days, or uh, back in my day, of of hearing things like, um, it didn't work then and it won't work now when new things are presented. We have visions of the older women like the golden girls, but here he presents the older men, kind of like the movie with Walter Matthau and Jack Lemmon of grumpy old men, if you've seen that. Um, So what does Paul tell Titus to call older men too. Paul calls older men to be sober-minded, to be dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. So the Greek word here that's translated dignified, it's the Greek word semnos. Uh, It's also translated in other passages as honorable, uh, honorable or dignified. Older men should live lives that are worthy of honor and respect. And this word steadfastness, it comes, uh, it comes with the connotation of, of not giving up, of not pulling back, but of remaining faithful, of persevering to the end, so that when young men look at the lives of older men, they can say, when I'm his age, I want to be like him. That's what Paul is talking about. So these characteristics require a lifetime of learning and of growing in grace. Now to the younger men, Paul spends very little time addressing the concerns of younger men. If you notice here, he calls them to do one thing. He says, be self-controlled. And this is one command that he also gives to the older men and to the older women as well. Paul knows from experience what it is like to be a younger man. He intrinsically knows the heart of a young man, and it probably has not changed much in 2,000 years because the temptation is to be immature and to stay that way, to enjoy the freedom that youth provides with the little responsibility and having lots of energy. Uh, The heart of a young man resists taking responsibility Pushing back maturity further and further, uh, we complain about teenage boys. Now we're complaining about twenty-year-old boys. Uh, one pastor famously described it as this: as uh, as young men are simply uh, boys who can shave. That's one of the ways to describe it. So Paul encourages Titus to teach young men, in a sense, to grow up, to control themselves, to act in maturity. Uh, this word, self-control, is a uh, sophroneo, and it's used by Paul in Romans 12, verse 3, and there the translators uh, translated it as sober judgment. So when, you read, uh, when I read this to you and I say sober judgment, that's the same word as self-control. Paul says this in Romans 12, For the grace given to me, I say to, you, to everyone among you, Not to think of himself more highly than he ought, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. You could see how something like that would translate into the stereotype of young men, thinking of themselves more highly than they ought. Um, But Paul says, think with sober judgment, with self-control. Not exalting oneself, showing off one's own strength, but instead displaying the gospel, because what the gospel does is it displays our weaknesses. And that in our weakness, Christ is strong. Paul concludes this little section by talking about bond servants or slaves in verses 9 through 10. Um, a lot of commentators would say that this translates today into employees. How are we supposed to be as an employee? Um, This could be a whole sermon for another day. We'll touch briefly on this just this morning. But what he says is this, is that be such a good servant. Be such a good worker. uh, Be such a good employee that your employer actively sees the gospel being displayed in you. That he can see based on how you interact with your coworkers, based on how you treat your boss, that the gospel is at work within you so so why why does Paul compel Titus to teach these groups of people to act in this particular way why does Paul command Titus to teach sound doctrine we see for a couple of reasons Uh, in verse 5 Paul says so that the word of God may not be reviled in other words Paul encourages Titus to teach sound doctrine so that the truth cannot be criticized and not insulted. Paul also says in verse 8, So that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. When living out the truth of what we say we believe, no one can then accuse us of having a lack of integrity. You know, this Ashley Madison scandal that's been blowing up in the news recently um, is devastating. Not just because of the release of everyone's name who was on this list, who had signed up for this website, but the very fact that this website exists is devastating. So that um, people can be connected to have affairs in secret, and there are people who are profiting off of this. This site itself promotes a lack of integrity. Come, have an affair. We'll keep it completely secret. It actually says that on their website. They, they boast about their, their security. Well, we all know that that didn't happen. Um, I was going to say unfortunately, but maybe it is fortunate that this was exposed. Um, it's devastating. I was reading an article on CNN or uh, New York Times or something like that. Uh, maybe it was even in Christianity today, but they were predicting that this Sunday there would be s- churches all over across the nation that pastors, deacons and elders would be stepping down from their positions because of what happened with Ashley Madison. Breaks my heart. Um, Paul calls us to live in integrity, and it's hard. It's difficult because of the temptations that we face. Finally, at the end of our passage this morning, he says that we should teach sound doctrine so that the doctrine of God, our Savior, might be adorned. Because what is the chief end of man? It's to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And we do this through teaching sound doctrine and through living it out. So, How does that translate into our church, into our lives here at Trinity? We have a beautiful thing here, and it's called the fellowship of believers. Paul encourages Titus in this passage to teach the people of Crete to live in community with one another, to be engaged in people's lives, and this fellowship that we have is a precious gift that God has given to the church. Because of faith in Christ, we have the privilege of peace with God. And after we receive our assurance of pardon on a Sunday morning, we, Heath reminds us that we have peace with God. But not only that, we have peace with one another. We enter into an intimate relationship with God, but we also enter into intimate relationship with each other as well. So based on this passage, Paul makes it very clear that the fellowship and community that we have together should be generational. It should be older men and younger men, older women and younger women. As we designed our missional community groups here at Trinity, we did that uh, with this in mind. So that the older men could be speaking into the lives of younger men. So that older women could be speaking into the lives of younger women. As uh, Heath is rolling out the calendar for the youth ministry for this year, he assigned parents to individual months so that parents can be involved in the discipling of the kids here at Trinity. Why? So that those who are older could speak into the lives of those who are younger, um, both men and women. This is extremely important. Um, We we think a lot that that peer groups are important for kids, and they are. It's important for our kids to have friends. Um, But what's more important is people who have gone before them, mentors, parents that can share the gospel with them. And a lot of people think, uh, one of the things that I uh, misnomer when I was working in youth ministry that people often presented was that, oh, kids don't want to hang out with people who are older anyways. And that's actually not true. Um, I'll let you in on a little secret. Uh, teenagers don't want to hang out with people who they consider lame. And often what we do as we grow older is we grow more and more lame. I will admit that I, as, uh, as I grow older. Uh, but they enjoy hanging out with people who love them and who are engaged in them and who, who appreciate them for who they are. Um, so engage in the lives of our teenagers. Living in community that intentionally mixes ages like this is countercultural. It really is. Um, I remember when Stephanie and I first got married and we lived down in Florida. Once you get outside of the city of Orlando, um, Florida is a very interesting place. It's filled with these retirement communities. Uh, we were not far from one community called the Villages. Uh, it may be the largest retirement community in uh, the, the nation. Yeah, maybe the world. Um, Stephanie started out there as a PA in heart surgery because of the patient population. Uh, there was a lot of people who needed open heart surgery there near the villages. And so the hospital that she was at uh, did a lot of heart surgery there, and that's what brought her to Florida. That's where we met there at church, and, and here we are. But the tendency is is for as you get older to get into these communities, to isolate yourselves. Paul is telling older men and women to do the opposite, not to isolate into these communities, but engage in the lives of those who are younger. And the culture that we live in right now idolizes youth and all things new. I think maybe it began with MTV, uh, but it hasn't stopped there uh, everything that is cool is, is new and young. Um, but that is certainly not the case in many other cultures where age is revered, where they look up to their elders because of the wisdom that they can share. And Paul is calling Titus to teach the same thing here. So those who are older, older men and women, You are called to teach, to set an example in your life to those who are younger and who are less mature than you. Now, many of you may be thinking this, I can't do that. I'm not a good example. I made so many mistakes in my life when I was young. Maybe you think the opposite. You think, uh, maybe I can be a good example of what not to do in my life. Maybe that's the example that I can give. Um, I've heard older members also say, you know what, it's not my place to say anything. Well, Titus 2 makes it pretty plain and clear that it is your place. And if you don't say something, you're actually abdicating your role as a believer. We need you speaking into our lives. We need you. Maybe you don't feel comfortable saying something in a certain situation, and I understand that. There are appropriate times and places. But the remedy is not being silent. The remedy is engaging in relationship of earning the right to be heard with the younger generation. Because when younger men and women know that they are loved, know that you love them and care about them, they are going to be much more interested in what you have to say and in how you live your lives. We don't need you to be silent. We need you to engage. We need you. Younger people seek it out. Uh, one of the tendencies of younger men and women is to think that we have it all figured out. When I first became a parent when Elliot was born, I knew more as a parent then than I do now <laughs> because I thought that I had it all figured out. I had read the books. I knew what we were going to do. We got this parenting thing nailed, and we were going to do it just perfectly. After four kids, we realized there is so much that we don't know, and we need to be humble as young men and women, knowing that we need help from others. We often discredit those who are older as well. But we need the wisdom of those who have been there. We need to hear the stories of what has transpired before and glean truth from them. So older men and women, younger people aren't looking for perfection in you. We're looking for those who are real, who are honest, who are humble, who are willing to share their full life, the good, the bad, and the ugly. We want to hear things like, when I was younger, this is what I struggled with. These are the consequences that resulted from that. This is what God led me to do through my struggles. We need to hear these things. We need to engage in relationship with one another. You know, the women recently started up a ministry called Titus 2. As you can see, why? And being in this ministry will be good. But however, women, do not get sucked into the trap of thinking that this ministry is going to be the be-all, end-all. That meeting once a month is going to be sufficient. This is a lifestyle. And it just goes for older women and younger women and older men and younger men as well. We need to engage in this all the time. Engage in each other's lives. Because when we engage in one another's lives, we live out the gospel. What makes someone more mature believer as we grow older is not sinning less. It's knowing our sin more deeply. Knowing our own shortcomings and our willingness to live in humility, confessing our sins, not hiding them. It's living in honest repentance. So older people, don't allow yourselves to fade away into irrelevancy because we need you to be relevant, to speak the gospel into our lives. Old, uh, Younger men and women, don't think that you've got it all figured out because we don't. And we need other, others speaking into our lives. What a gift we have in this church. You know, as I look out here and see our congregation, I see those who are old and those who are young see gray hairs and newborns. We have such such a gift here that God has given us. We have the opportunity to live out the gospel in this community, showing love to one another, teaching one another uh, based on sound doctrine. The sound doctrine of the gospel, that we are all sinners, that we're saved by God's grace through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Our most gracious God and our Father in heaven, we thank you that you have given us your word that we can navigate through these rough waters and through this fog of how we are supposed to live our lives in line with the gospel. Lord, I pray that you would take these challenges that you have presented to us and that by the power of your Holy Spirit you would work out the gospel in us so that by your Spirit we would speak into each other's lives, that we would engage in community with one another. Lord, so that the gospel of your Son, Jesus Christ, might be adorned, that we would give you glory, and honor that is due your name. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.